Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and The Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on securitization of death, Neil Garfield. If you learn anything from these broadcasts, it should be this. Cases are not won or lost based upon the merits of either side. They are won and lost based upon perception and procedure. Hi, this is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, July 8, 2021. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida. The word education, as many of you already know, comes from the Latin word educe which means to draw out. It is a process by which the teacher draws out the cognitive process of each student such that the student understands what he or she already knows to be true. And that's basically what I'm doing. Everyone already knows what I have been teaching for decades. Winning cases is about working the system, not about being right. This is exactly why hardly anyone trusts the system, or lawyers or judges for that matter. They see results that they don't like and think are wrong, and they may be right. But that's because we have rules and procedures that must be followed. But other than a few courageous homeowners, everyone seems to forget that simple proposition. And so because they believe that the entire foreclosure scheme for the last two decades has been, or three, has been one elaborate fraudulent scheme, they assume they have a right to win. And they think the lawyers and the courts should admit that the scheme is fraudulent and basically mostly a Ponzi scheme. There's no such thing as a right to win. There are only winners and losers. They either know how or don't know how to work the system. The problem for homeowners who seek to fight is that there is nearly a universal religious belief that this is about being right rather than the game of undermining the right of anyone to initiate foreclosure procedure against them. That distinction is a hard one to make. For lawyers, not so hard. For lay people, almost impossible. They want to prove that their opposition is wrong. It's not enough for these believers to prove that there is no claim against them. And so they go on to lose and prove the erroneous proposition that homeowners cannot win. Homeowners can win, and they do win. 
Most fighting homeowners suffer from an ailment that is fatal to their legal ambitions, one that is so prevalent that it can be fairly said that the people who don't suffer from it are rare and that the ailment is normal to most human beings who have had any contact with the world of lending and finance. This ailment manifests as a cognitive process in which a person thinks they know something that they really don't know. It is accompanied by a perception that conflicting information from the real world should be discarded. Combined with normal emotional reactions of shame and anger, this leads homeowners to adopt strategies that appear convenient but end up in a desperate attempt to attack the primary case against them instead of attacking the secondary corroborative evidence that supports the primary case. This approach basically concedes the elements of the fraudulent case against them. It also causes them to resist corrective measures that could give them a chance to win even late in the game. Practically every homeowner who has ever sought a loan since the year 2000 knows that something is wrong with the system that was presented to them as lending. Since the days of caveat emptor, let the buyer beware, there has always been a tension between every seller and every buyer. And any homeowner who has been victimized by threats or actual foreclosure process also knows or knew something was wrong. They just didn't know what that thing was. And we know that in all 50 states, the players in this game promised the governments that they would stop fabricating, falsifying, and forging documents strictly for purposes of foreclosure. And they broke those promises. The courts have been persuaded to follow doctrines that maintain the sacred quality of a contract, an agreement, and a free market economy in which two people agree to do something or pay something. That agreement is based on consent. Once consent is given, nobody can complain about it. As commercial enterprises and banks in particular have become ever more sophisticated, They have sought and achieved ways of getting that consent or making it look like they got that consent. The consent is always to a transaction in which the buyer, the homeowner, believes they're getting what they wanted and what the marketplace has defined as that type of transaction, a loan. For the seller, The consent they seek is acknowledgement of the coming transaction regardless of content. The seller is only interested in receiving money. In the case of loans in the era of securitization comes from investors, not borrowers. Although some money does go from borrowers to the investment banks. So the seller, interested only in receiving money and then justifying the receipt of the money with as little product or service as possible, goes on its merry way, leaving nothing but debris 
and in the case of 2008, disaster behind. In the days of caveat emptor, buyer beware, the buyer absorbed virtually all risk, including, for example, a radio that didn't work. Most people don't think much about the transactions they have had with companies self-describing themselves as lenders. And most people don't even realize that they are actually purchasing a financial product. But on the books of the old banks who actually made loans, they were buying a loan account receivable from the homeowner payable to the bank and the homeowner was subscribing buying documents memorializing the purchase of that financial product today that automatically includes the requirements of statutes which are customarily violated in this era of what they're calling securitization of debt in which no securitization of debt occurs and no sale of debt occurs. For the buyer, the consent they intend to give is only for what they intended. But once consent is manifested in writing, regardless of how it is obtained, the onus or burden is on the buyer or homeowner to show that he or she did not get what they intended to buy or reasonably expected. The marketplace is filled with offers of goods and services that are designed to trick the consumer into consenting to an arrangement that was neither intended nor expected by the consumer. In some deals, it is easy to see what's happening. Consent is obtained through trickery, which is the same as theft. If you're a contributor to a political or religious cause, you've seen this. You don't notice the box checked for you by some unscrupulous organizations in which they make your one-time intended donation a weekly donation. And your $20 donation could turn out to be $1,000 just for one year. And if you don't monitor your accounts carefully, you could discover that you paid $5,000 over five years for what you thought was a $20 donation. That's pretty much the structure, by the way, of what the investment banks did in connection with selling you a fake loan. If you agree to make a small payment for a service on the Internet and you don't notice that you are being automatically subscribed to a $39.99 per month service that you never wanted and will never use, then you're paying around $500 per year for a service that you thought was a free trial or for which you thought you were being charged $5 and was worth scarcely that amount. Or if you were an unlucky traveler who booked travel on a cruise line, for example, and you paid a few thousand dollars for a cruise that was scheduled for May 2020, and you might get stuck with that burden of asking for your money back because by agreeing to accept a temporary credit thinking the cruises would start soon, you have consented to a waiver of your right to ever see your money again or a cruise for that matter. Luckily, there's a remedy for that. 
My opinion is that all such behavior consists primarily of trickery and deceit. The consent or acknowledgement from the consumer, therefore, is not real. It is a legal nullity. In complicated transactions involving extremely high interest rates for a transaction that is received by the consumer as a loan, the government might not even allow the transaction to ever be enforced. Usury laws are supposed to prevent that. But we all know that usury laws have been diluted to the point of near extinction. If consent was procured by trick or deceit, the consumer's consent or acknowledgement is by law irrelevant, or as we say in legal practice, it's a legal nullity. In some cases where usury is involved, the borrower need not pay any money back to the lender at all. That is the punishment for unconscionable predatory acts on unsophisticated consumers who have limited knowledge and skill to understand the risks involved in their transactions with these highly sophisticated sellers of what they're calling financial products. The free market theorists, uh, elitists, will tell you that the consumers have an obligation to investigate and that Payment is consent. So everything that happens to you after you make a payment pursuant to what you thought was the deal is, according to them, consent to anything that happens next, no matter what it is. That's not what Adam Smith was talking about in The Wealth of Nations. Smith was saying that all things being equal, the invisible hand of competition will make all the required corrections in the marketplace to keep the playing field level. He lived in a simpler world where agreements were in writing and the only original agreement, and only the original agreement had any effect, and where the product or service was easily discernible with the naked eye. Now we use copies, and in the foreclosure marketplace, we see only copies of copies. Strictly speaking, when the product or service turns out to be non-existent or defective, the entire risk of the loss on the transaction initially belonged to the buyer. They're the ones stuck. And in the so-called loan transaction, that's the, the homeowner. But any economist or jurist will tell you that sellers are not free to take the money and run. And the more complicated the transaction, the less free is the market because there can be no consent from someone who has no knowledge or insufficient knowledge or access to data about the content in terms of the transaction. That's where government is supposed to uh, step in to make adjustments that make the playing field as level as possible, which is never perfect. And the way the government performs this function is requiring the seller to provide disclosures that inform the buyer about the more relevant terms and conditions of the transaction being offered to him or her. So, for example, if this really was a loan, the disclosure would have required the sale, the, the, the information about the sale of securities to investors and the profits being made as a result of that sale, without which there would have been no loan. 
Most homeowners feel that they're getting something when they apply for a loan. They don't realize that they're buying something. What they're getting is the proverbial shaft. And in most instances today, they may be seeking a loan, but the party to whom they delivered their application will neither underwrite it as a loan nor lend them any money. Instead, the receiver takes on the title of lender and the title of originator in order to conceal the absence of any creditor and the presence of, uh, to conceal the, 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 the absence of risks that the homeowner has no way of knowing or understanding. They're also concealing the presence of risks that the homeowner is assuming in this transaction by his assumed consent to terms that he knew nothing about. When deemed complete, the transaction is now transformed away from anything the buyer or homeowner had in mind into something the, the buyer homeowner knows nothing about and would never have agreed to on the same terms of what was offered. Examples of the difference between what every homeowner as a borrower expected and what the homeowner as investor received are profound. The homeowner is expecting that his application for a loan will result in the offering of a financial loan product that contains all the normal and customary attributes of a loan. Instead, he or she gets the documents that pretend that the transaction is a loan, even though the transaction lacks any of the balanced risks, rewards, and disclosures of any normal loan transaction. The seller of this product is described as a lender, but the objective of the seller has nothing to do with loaning money. The seller is earning a commission or fee for the service of getting consumers to sign documents that memorialize a transaction that never occurred. You don't need to prove that. You only need to test that. And the way you test that point is by asking for secondary or corroborative evidence of the last transaction in which value was paid for the underlying obligation or the alleged underlying obligation as required by Article 9, Section 203 of the Uniform Commercial Code, which has been adopted in all states verbatim. You don't need to prove anything else. If they can't satisfy that, then they fail to satisfy a condition preceding to the filing of a foreclosure action. The homeowner was expecting to get a loan, but instead bought into an investment scheme in which none of the rewards and all the risks were assumed by the homeowner. The homeowner consented to a loan, but having consented to the transaction documents, is deemed, in most cases, to have consented to the use of personal and financial data from his or her transaction to be used as the basis for selling securities without which the loan could never have been made. The homeowner is thereby deemed to have consented to the inclusion of the security scheme for purposes of the generation of revenue and profits but excluded from the security scheme for purposes of sharing in the profits. This is not a defense, but it is the foundation for a claim against the investment bank that started the scheme if you want to go that far.
the homeowner expected a lender, that is, a creditor who owned a loan account receivable owed to that creditor. But at the conclusion of the transaction cycle, uh, far down the road, there is no party who is a creditor who has paid value in exchange for ownership of the alleged underlying asset. That's the point of the current practice of securitization. The homeowner expects to have a counterparty who has a risk of loss of the event the loan does not produce scheduled payments. Instead, the counterparty consists of multiple third parties, none of whom are disclosed and none of whom have any risk of loss. The distribution of risk advertised by Wall Street as the result of securitization never occurs. There is no distribution of risk. There's an elimination of risk. And the only way you eliminate risk from an asset is by not owning it. Any losses on the sale of securities are borne by investors. The investors who pay money for the purchase of securities, they're not buying any right title or interest in the obligation, legal debt, note, mortgage of any homeowner. Any insurance proceeds or proceeds of swap or other credit risk hedge products are payable to the brokers, not the investors. You, as a homeowner, are an investor because you're certainly not a borrower if you don't have a lender. You need only ask for the identity of the party that has suffered a financial loss arising from any breach of duty by the homeowner and the identification of the transaction in which they paid value for the underlying obligation. That's the only thing that counts. The complete absence of any lending risk leads to a complete breakdown of the normal expectations of any homeowner looking for a loan. The underwriter and the party who is causing funds to appear at the closing table have no incentive to make a viable loan, mainly because they don't regard or treat it as a loan. So even though the homeowner expects that the lender would not make a loan unless they thought it was thought it was most likely be performed as a loan, and even though this is exactly what is required by the Federal Truth in Lending Act, the home is now dealing with an amorphous group of companies, each seeking to feed off the sale of securities while not having the slightest worry or care about performance of the so-called loan. This could be a defense, but you have to be careful about how you use it. In fact, contrary to the expectation that the other side doesn't want the loan to become non-performing, there are bets placed against the viability of the securities that in turn represent bets on the performance of the discretionary data report by the brokers for the sale, who are the brokers for the sale of those securities. They're betting against the loans. They know they're flooding the market with money. They know that asset prices are way over value, and so they're expecting a crash, and they're betting exactly on that. 
Who gets left holding the bag? The only two parties that were ever interested in the deal, the investors and the so-called borrowers, the homeowners. The, the incentive is actually to make unviable loans that will likely fail. Homeowners expect that their counterparty does not want to see the deal go to foreclosure because of expenses and losses associated with foreclosure. But that's not what's happening. All the players are making money on the process of foreclosure because none of the money has to go to anybody who will mark down a supposed uh, loan receivable account. Instead, the brokers and others want the loan to stop performing and they have an incentive to push the case into foreclosure proceedings because everybody makes money in foreclosure. And then they take the proceeds from forced sale of the property without any credit to any loan account receivable. And lastly, for purposes of today, the homeowner is expecting a conservative appraisal upon which they rely in doing business with the supposed lender. And in doing the deal with the, uh, with the supposed seller where the application is for a purchase money mortgage. Instead, stock brokers since the early 2000s have put nationwide pressure on all certified property appraisers to issue an appraisal for an average of $20,000 over the contract price between the now homeowner and the prior homeowner. You don't have to believe me on that one. It was the appraisers themselves who wrote to Congress, 8,000 of them, in 2005 complaining of that practice. It was either do the appraisals as instructed by the investment banks or get out of the business. The result has been a risk-free zone where there is only revenue and profit for all players except homeowners. The homeowner is argued to have consented to accepting all the risks of badly written contracts that included no information on the largest part of the scheme, the sale of securities. That is stolen consent, not real consent. And what's stolen consent? Stolen consent is, is not real consent because it is obtained by trickery and deceit. The use of trickery and deceit in, in obtaining what appears to be consent ends that consent from ever having been viable from the first instance. In law, we call that ab initio. If there's no consent, there's no contract there's no contract, then one of two things can happen. Either there's rescission, which many people have tried to do and which the Truth in Lending Act provided for, but the courts refused to even acknowledge it. I don't think any, I don't even think they had jurisdiction to do that, but they did. Or you have reformation. And in the reformation of the relationship between the homeowner and these players, the security scheme 
should be, must be included. And in that would be a determination as to the amount that the homeowner was entitled to receive from the revenue or profit of the sale of the security. And just so you know, the investment banks shot themselves in the foot by making sure that these securities were not subject to regulation as securities and therefore the claim from homeowners to receive compensation for being literally drafted into the security scheme, that claim for compensation is not barred by any securities law. That's it for tonight. We'll be back at you next week. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me.